At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot, and today this is a very, very special podcast you're about to listen to. I really wanted a uh, an important, strong, special guest, and so I normally don't pay to get guests on here, but I I, I went and I, I I ended up paying him a couple thousand dollars to come and, <laughs> and join me. I've got Jordan Fromer on from the Duck Gun Podcast. I was hoping that you'd just come on for free, but I guess if I have to pay you to come on and talk, then I guess that's what I just have to do, I guess. That's awesome, man. I can't wait to uh, – it's kind of news to me, but I've been really hurting for cash, so I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to see that check coming in the mail, man. It's gonna be... <laughs> Merry Christmas to me. No, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, and I'm sure that I would think 99% of you know who Jordan is, know uh, my relationship to Jordan, but – in the case that you do not, uh, Jordan started a podcast four or five years ago called the Duck Gun Podcast, and I was on episode what three? Episode two eight two. I think it was two eight like ten or eleven, and then you know, then permanently. Jordan asked me to come on the podcast that he was just starting. This was like, I mean, there was hardly in a, any other duck hunting podcast out there. It was like a few others. So Jordan was on the ground floor. Of Waterfowl Podcast. He asked me to come on to... Uh, how well did we even know each other at that time? I don't even remember. Um, we didn't, really, no. So, like, you know, uh, if we go back to kind of the history of it, um, I had done one season on YouTube, and you had done two seasons. But mm-hmm. yours was much more refined, you know, better better filmed, better hunting, all that kind of stuff. So I was just, uh, you know, a little, little peon, and you were on kind of like king of the castle well the problem was the is game. you were you were trying to start youtube and duck hunting at the same time so you right. not only you're trying to learn youtube you're trying to learn how to kill ducks and that's like a really difficult task oh yeah for sure yeah so go ahead I, I interrupted you yeah um i'm trying to think uh yeah no that's that's and that's so have, we had talked back and forth just a few we, we must have been friendly um somewhat in back think, and forth i think I I always was I was watching your YouTube channel and you had like watched a couple of mine probably because I 
I ended up, you had no idea who I was until I emailed you. And so, you know how it is when you're first starting mm -hmm. the YouTube game, like you watch these channels and like how to like expand your growth and how to, how to, um, how to just be successful on YouTube, you know, as far as right. the game. So, um, and that was one of my goals. And one of them was like, Hey, reach out to, to people that are doing the same thing as you that, um, are kind of established. And, you know, so uh, obviously, you know, you were established and I looked up to you as a, as a content creator and duck hunter. And, um, so sent the email out your way and you shut me down. So, <laughs> well, that's not, you were pretty aggressive with your asks and I, I didn't have any negative feelings about it. I remember, I remember, I, I don't, the de I don't remember the details of it. But I remember my emotions of it. I remember and my emotions remember of it were not, were nothing. My emotions were nothing negative towards you. Sure, sure, sure. No, no, I'm just. You wanted to, like, I forget, run some videos or I, I don't know. I don't know. But that was that was quite a bit before I came on the podcast, though. Right. No, I this, think so that, that was like that. No, that was that season. fall. That was yeah. that fall. Yeah, right. So right. In, in high, you know, at the beginning of YouTube, all of it kind of seems like really far apart. But then when, like, our perspective, like, this is six years ago, right? Um, so now it's like, oh, yeah, well, it was only four months apart. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at the time it was such a new thing too right it was like you know it's uh, it was very far along in in the early timeline of of the youtube space and podcasts and all that so um yeah i think i i was just trying anyway for us to like collab um and even like potentially like help like create content for your channel or whatever you know mm -hmm. uh, and i think that was kind of where it was like well you probably you probably in my in my my my, uh, my idea, well, I'm, I'm stuttering there a little bit, but uh, was to um, just just to help, you know, some way to kind of get a foot in the door. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, for you, it's like, well, if this is my style. This is what I'm doing. It's just not going to work. So there, obviously right. there was no, like, negative emotion, but it was kind of a, maybe like a um, a weird way of, of trying to get in there. But a better way was when I created my own podcast, and right. said, hey, do you want to come talk about duck hunting on my podcast? <laughs> and then you loved the idea. So well, that was, I think that was about, that was February, the, the year right right after yeah. season closed. And me uh, running my mouth is about duck hunting has never been, I've never been shy about that. And it allowed me the opportunity to just blab a bunch. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. It was super fun. We learned a lot, yeah. too, from our beginning stages of right. podcast. And, and interviewing and entertaining and and all that to like where we are now right yeah so i, I joined up with jordan and we were partners on the duck on podcast for 250 some episodes and now we just went our own way and doing our own things but uh, the, the friend relationship remains the same in fact I, we just recorded a, an episode on the duck gun podcast so if you haven't heard that make sure and go check that out if for some reason you've never listened to the duck gun podcast definitely go and check that out um because it continues to crank out crank out um episodes and it's it's great content i certainly listen to everyone although i never i did not finish the du one i got about halfway through and for some reason i didn't i didn't finish that one and see how that finished off but i'm um, just not a I, fan of conservation it's probably yeah, the, most, right. the most likely case yeah that yeah that is that is, that is true i i do not there are some this, people that really hate du these allegations that I just randomly bring up against Elliot, like I think that's probably the hidden fact behind why, <laughs> why the podcast podcast split happened. I was just giving you too much crap, <laughs> character assassination, <laughs> too many Southerners. 
Well, you. in my defense, on the title of this recording is Elliot's Jerk, and I didn't title it. So, <laughs> And then the podcast is what the real reason why, on my episode anyway, the real reason why I fired Elliot from Dr. Yeah, because so. yeah, anyone who watches that and doesn't sees that and decides not to click on it is going to forevermore thinking that you fired me. <laughs> Thank you, fired me. <laughs> but they, the thing is that they have to click on it, right? Right, sure. So that's 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 the goal with the title, and we talk about it. And like you know, I I did my best to ask the hard questions, but like you're just too poised. And you, yeah, I was trying to get like a little bit of a rise on all my questions, but I maybe I should have been a little bit more aggressive about how I I phrased them. I don't know. Well, I can definitely be caught off guard and and get uncomfortable and stuttery about stuff if if you push hard enough so <laughs> kind of glad you didn't <laughs> the only one that got me was like you're not complimenting me enough i'm like what he doesn't think i'm complimenting enough <laughs> like that one i do i was like thinking about a couple times like is he serious is he, does he really think i need to <laughs> 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 oh man so anyway Jordan had not been on the North American Waterfowler, and so it was about about due. And I'm sure that Jordan will be on here from time time to time, back and forth. We'll keep keep hopping. Depending on your budget. Depending on my budget. I, I just <laughs> gave you my last two thousand. No no milk for us. I'm gonna tell my wife she can't buy milk tomorrow at the store. You and the North American Waterfowler app have all my cash. So, nice. Yeah, well. Spending money is uh, uh, anyway. Anyway, so I do want to progress a little bit more, and I don't. A lot of people have probably heard this, but what I what I am interested about specifically is your social media story. But I want it intertwined with your duck hunting. I'm more interested about your duck hunting progression than your actual social media story. But feel free to filter that in there too, because you this would be what your seventh year of waterfowl hunting. Um, I think it's, I think it's my eighth. Wait, eighth year. Yeah, it's my eighth. Yeah, because I'm, yeah, I'm season one season eight for you? behind you. Yeah. Okay. Season nine for me. Season eight for you. Yeah. Um, and so, I, you know, you've been on a steep waterfowl hunting curve, and and I've realized it's like, if you really get into something and you become, and this is what I love about like, the phrase the North American waterfowler is like. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be elitist about this. I, I feel like when you think of the North American waterfowler, it's not a guy that hunts three times a year. It's the guys that are just, it becomes a part of their soul. Right. Right. And definitely so for not, you. Definitely not, not the Southerners, but no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm going to be yeah. your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's got the word North in it. It's not the <laughs> South American duck hunter. I didn't, if I didn't make that clear, I would say that the Kansas-Oklahoma border, and you draw a line from there straight across, the North American waterfowlers all exist above that line. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. It's not true. It's a joke because I don't want to exclude a bunch of friends of mine that are absolutely eaten up with it. But point being, it's like you're so just eaten up with the sport that it's just a part of your daily life, right? And when you get like that, and for someone like you that started and you went seven hunts without killing a bird, but you kept doing it, and it's been a huge part of your existence, whether through media or just your hunting, that learning curve is greatly accelerated. So when you tell someone, well, I've only been hunting seven years, well, yeah, you've only, or eight years, you've only been hunting eight years, but it's like, what does that learning curve look like? And how much mental space have you, have you put into that 
So kind of look back over it, and I would love to hear what your thoughts are on just your improvements as a waterfowler during that time. And and if you want to weave your social media into it, Jordan's YouTube channel is Duck Gun Chronicles. And um, so make sure and check that out if you, if you haven't. But that that's kind of what I'm interested in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's uh, you got to almost start before um, before the YouTube stuff, all that. And I started uh, waterfowl hunting with my or no, not waterfowl, upland gaming, upland game hunting with my grandpa. So, um, you know, my grandpa was one of those guys that um, you just absolutely loved as his grandkid. He was just um, full of stories, full of charisma. Um, he was a successful business owner um, and just all about, you know, making you feel like you're the biggest deal ever. So uh, I was just, you know, I, I, I loved my grandpa to death. And anything that he did was, like, golden to me. So um, he did upland game hunting. He had, he'd keep four English pointers at a time in his kennel. And, like, one of my highlights um, as a young kid of going out there was just every morning we'd let the dogs out to run. And so um, for those of you who know, Chief has passed away. He was named after his favorite and by uh, association my favorite uh, of his dogs. So it was named Chief. Uh, he, was, he's, he'd, he had uh, some brownish tint and brown spots on him, uh, English pointer, and big, big-chested, uh, bulky kind of uh, masculine-looking uh, pointer. So I got to hunt over him from the time. I can't remember the exact dates because I know I was young, um, but it was something like 9 to 11 or 12. It was like three or four years of hunting with Grandpa until he fell into bad health. And so I still have the, you know, the single-shot 20-gauge shotgun that him and my dad started me on, and I can remember – uh, I can remember shooting that thing and it just kicking like a <laughs> yeah. I mean, those single absolutely. shots are crazy. What years would that have been, Jordan? I never asked you this. I'm I'm trying to remember, but it's something like nine, ten, eleven, twelve, somewhere in there. Like, like you mean oh nine? No, 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 no. no, like, no that's what, how old I was. So yeah, that'd been like uh, in the in the nineties, mid late nineties, mid to late nineties. Okay. Yep, somewhere in there. So, and you guys were hunting pheasant or quail or chucker or what? It was. Quell in southern Indiana. Natural? So my, my grandpa Na- traveled around. Not planted. Native birds, right? Yeah, native. Yep. Okay. They still have, I think they still have some, but I, mm-hmm. I don't go down there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so my grandpa traveled around. He was a, I mean, he was an excellent shot. Uh, later on, he actually passed on his A5 to me. Um, so, and, and a lot of you guys have watched my channel know that that's kind of a big part of my channel. It's kind of what... Um, the whole the channel and the podcast are named for Duck Gun Chronicles. It's like if this gun had a mouth, the stories it could tell, mm-hmm. and almost like it was almost like a, an actual feeling and thought that I had um, after my my grandpa passed away. He passed that gun on to me, and uh, uh, just having that gun and wishing that I could you know, go back and, and talk to him and hear his stories again. Um, you know, that's kind of a little bit of where that, that story came from because I know he traveled around like crazy hunting with it. It's an old classic gun from, I believe it's like 1960s, um, and he just took it everywhere uh, across the country 
uh, hunting upland and, and some a uh, little bit of waterfowl here and there. So Duck and Chronicles Duck Gun Podcast was really named for um, my gun that my grandpa passed down to me. What, how old were you when he became ill? Um, it was it was right around that like twelve year period. So um, it's kind of one of those things where he age was, twelve for you. You mean something? I'm I'm yeah. trying to remember okay. to be honest, but like we stopped hunting around then. He fell into bad health, kidneys failing, you know, swelling in his legs, couldn't mm-hmm. walk like you'd need to for upland. Um, and then from there it was like heart failure, and he just I mean he lived like that where we just thought he was going to die for like a decade. So, yeah. um, yeah. in that time, obviously he didn't hunt. Uh, I didn't hunt. Um, but then him passing that gun down to me, you know, was kind of the catalyst to like me getting back into some type of hunting. When, when, when would that have been? How old were you when you got that? When he gave you the gun? Um, so I, I was, I was in my late twenties. Oh, okay. Wow. So yeah, no, it's no, it'd been mid twenties, yeah, because I'm thinking eight years. Yeah, and so how old are you now? I'm 34, so I'd have been okay. like 26, right, something like right. that. Yeah. So that's that's what kick started. So so after you got the gun, how long was it before you started waterfowling? Then not very long, right then. No, I mean, yeah, I think it was like, like you got the gun and boom. Yeah, I got the gun and like I had no idea. Like I, I had buddies that hunted, right? And the big thing in Indiana is deer hunting. Like if you go look at like. Uh, like I think the Mossy Oak website has like a whole bunch of like pages with statistics on flyways and state states. And I've spent some time just kind of like looking through there to kind of see, um, what results they have. And it goes by like harvest numbers and like birds per hunter and all that. Well, anyway, anyways, Indiana like falls, like it's like 12th or 13th out of like 13th in the Mississippi flyway. So it's not a waterfowl state, not knocking it. There's a bunch of good hardcore waterfowlers in the state, but we just don't have, we don't have the natural opportunities that, um, you know, uh, a lot of states that um, put um, or just have the opportunity there. I, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is kind of thing, right? We do the best with what we got. We work hard for it. But there's not, like, it's not a stuck Ar- Arkansas where there's a community of waterfowlers and all that. So, yeah. Um, but at the time, I really didn't know, like, anything about waterfowl. So um, I was doing, like, research to try to figure out, like, upland game, um, I'm like, well, there's nothing here. So, like, what can I do with this shotgun since there's no upland game? I'm like, how do I hunt? Oh, and at the same time, um, my wife actually got me uh, Chief, my dog. Mm-hmm. So it was like these. I had these both at the same time. We got the dog. Um, my grandpa passed away. Um, the gun was passed on to me. Um, and so you got the gun after your grandfather passed? Or well, he gave th- you the gun and then he passed? Yeah. Yeah, he gave he he did pass it on to me before then. So, but but shortly before, right, right? The reason I'm asking is because I've heard this story before, but I guess I never put I never put together in my mind the depth of it. Like all of this happened like in such a singular moment for you, and I just never put the the depth of the emotion of the gun and your grandfather and the name of the channel all together like this. So it's really really fascinating. I feel foolish that i haven't put together the how deep the emotions on this go for you sure yeah it's uh maybe i haven't uh explained it as good as i've could in the past but um yeah so it, it all was that was the catalyst to get me into the waterfowl hunting um so i did kind of the research found there was no upland game um i'd heard some about waterfowl did research about waterfowl uh found this weird channel 
of this guy fixing waders in his basement. That's the first video. <laughs> I, first video I saw. And then I started watching, you're like, I think, you you know how the YouTube algorithm works, right? Yeah. It's like you watch one video, all of a sudden it starts recommending more to you. So um, at the same time, I started getting some some more of uh, your videos. I had not hunted like once yet, and I'm watching your season one hunt videos. Oh, that's <laughs> so crazy. It is crazy. It really is like crazy to think that like, um, I mean, I watched your whole season one before I ever went yeah. on my first time. Those were some ter- that was a terrible run of hunts. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was awesome. I was like, yeah. what is this? Yeah. What is this sport that they call waterfowl? I wasn't getting any kill shots that year because I was so brand new to me. But what I was showing a lot of is the experience. I mean, I was showing a lot of that this is what it's like to do this. I just wasn't showing much success. or We weren't having a whole lot of success that year. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that, was, that was how the... Um, inception of Duck and Chronicles came about. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So then my season two, you're like, I'm going to try this. And you're like, hey, this dope with a terrible camera can make videos. I can do better than that. <laughs> I really don't know. I really like thinking back. I'm like, what possessed me to, to actually try to film it and um like stick with it so yeah i i took a camera i bought some low quality action cameras uh super super poor young married Mm -hmm. um couple college debt kicking in um all that kind of stuff renting all that it's like um like we barely had enough money to survive kind of thing and i had to like convince my wife i need to buy uh, a camera. I still have it, actually. I bet you it was like a fifty dollars camera. Let no, this it. actually bought like one legit like okay. DSLR. You, oh yeah, you said action camera, so I thought maybe. You and had then I bought like knockoff, yeah, I bought like fifty dollars, yeah, really cheap. That's what I had. Those are garbage. Those oh yeah, it's like action cameras. It, like every time I'd shoot, the the case was so poorly made that it would just shake like crazy, <laughs> and like you could literally hear it like clunking around in this waterproof case because they didn't make action cameras waterproof back mm-hmm. then. And we're walking through the water. So, do you still use that DSLR, or is that just an old one that you don't use anymore? 
That one's an old one. Yeah. Okay. So I keep it. I keep it hung on my walls like a, a keepsake. Uh huh. Oh, yeah, it just so. fell on the ground. <laughs> there goes the keepsake. It, it's uh, it's uh, it's been soaked, put through the rice twice. Yeah. Um, and it still works. It's just uh, it looks a little kind of yellowish when when you're so recording. <laughs> you when you started on your first hunts, you had no idea other than what you're seeing on YouTube, uh, like how to get this done. Right. Right. So day one, first hunt I ever went on, um, big duck opener in Indiana. And, um, I went out to the spot that I'd scouted and saw birds and I saw a lot of birds and I thought that was maybe typical. And so, mm-hmm. um, I went out there paddling in my canoe, Do you have just decoys, me, a dozen decoys or what? A dozen, I think maybe a dozen or two dozen. I can't remember what I bought. Probably a dozen decoys. Do you remember the brand um, of those first decoys you bought? They were Flambeau. Okay. Brand yeah. new Flambeau. Uh-huh. Um, rigged up, ready to go. I bought a canoe um from michigan had to like drive two hours to get it like a 200 hundred dollar canoe you still have um, that canoe i i do it's actually um sitting in the snake swamp right now why is it in the snake swamp um uh, because uh you can't like well you have to drag something in there like hundreds oh, of yards so if i can just leave gotcha. something there yeah yeah gotcha, so then gotcha. i just go in and when i walk to the spot i jump in the canoe and you know okay it, so. yeah good idea yeah, hopefully right. it's still there unless we had a big flood or something but <laughs> and if you guys don't know jordan lost an entire huge blind at the snake swamp it just drifted right. off and on high water it was just gone yeah that's a great found story. it though found, <laughs> it. found it yeah all right so yeah. continue on this is fascinating we've never we've never really deep dived this like this that i can recall we probably have at some point <laughs> we've, we've talked so much it's uh it's hard yeah. to remember but everything yeah. but um yeah so i went out there uh, paddling it along and um, got to the first spot. Somebody there, headlamp turns on, keep paddling, headlamp turns on, keep paddling, headlamp turns on, keep paddling, <laughs> headlamp turns on. Oh, no. Headlamp turns on. I think it was it was somewhere around like 10. Oh, my gosh. You must have got a tiny little stretch of river. And so then I just turn up this little creek and paddle up there and I set up. Was your heart just um, sinking? Like this sucks or? No, no, I was just, I had no idea what to You're expect. You're so excited. So, like, I was still just like almost nervous. Like you almost feel like you just don't belong there kind of thing. Yeah, like you don't know what I mean, you're, you're by yourself. I tried to get like my one buddy that duck hunts um, to come with me, and he's a big deer hunter. He just wasn't feeling it or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, so I just, you know, I just go out there and, and wing it, try to figure it out myself because um, that's just my personality, you know. So I'm um, sitting there. Oh, I'd, I didn't mention Chief at this time was six months old, so... <laughs> Oh wow, and totally untrained. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he could get yeah. a, he could get a bumper and bring it back, right. kind of thing. Right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit, not very well trained at all. No. So, um, yeah. And then, like five minutes till shooting light, here comes someone walking up from this property where I'm sitting on this creek. Say, hey, you can't be here. This is my uncle's property. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I trespassed because I paddled up the creek. Off the, the the rivers are public land, but uh-huh. for me, like having like really no idea. I just yeah. Like, someone told me that rivers are public land. I'm like, okay, well, the creek's part of the river, right? right. No, it's not. So, um, but anyways, this guy must have felt bad for me because I just looked like a deer in the headlights. He's like, that's right, you can sit here. And then he went and sat like in between me and the other group, and so like they were probably like sixty yards away from me or something stupid. <laughs> oh wow. And so I just sat there all morning um and uh was too scared to pull the trigger um for like the longest time. And like I had birds like buzzing to me. I had mm-hmm. a wood duck land in my set 
didn't shoot it. So you should have um, killed some that day. I should have. And then finally I shot at one and like the guys next to me kind of like yelled at me like, Hey, like that's not anywhere near range. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. So now you're really feeling like a dope. Oh yeah. So after you've that, got I really thick shoot. skin though. You, you're way, you have way thicker skin than I do. Like things roll <laughs> off your back way more than they would mine. Like that would have just at that time would have torn me. Oh, well, cool. at that time, you know, it was, uh, it was a little different. So, cause you just feel so out of place. Yeah. But yeah, I, I didn't shoot another shot the rest of the day. Um, but luckily after opener, you know, it, it really, um, tampers down like the, the amount of hunters and, and all that. So I hunted between that and like one other place and it took me 11 hunts and like literally I was going out in like evenings and like weird times that probably didn't help too. I went out in mornings and I missed quite a few actually, um, before I hit my first shot and then what was your what was your emotions like for that many hunts to be unsuccessful? Um, it didn't phase me really. Oh my, you're just too dumb to know and just like, hey, I'm determined or not dumb, but probably just determined. Right, yeah. Just like yeah, just just excited to be out there doing it and and I mean there was uh, there was definitely some frustration like why why can't I hit like why can't I hit a shot? So you were I missing a bunch of easy shots or were they far shots or no, they weren't. They weren't good shots usually. Yeah. So I, I remember at one time I, I asked this guy at the boat ramp. I'm like, "Hey, I'm just trying to figure this out." Like, and I pointed to this tree. Like, if I shoot at the top of this tree, is that too far? And he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> probably like a hundred yards." You just didn't yeah, know, right? So, you just didn't know, right? You just you just don't know. It's hard to gauge. Like your first time out in the marsh, like what is fifty yards? What is a right. hundred yards? Right. You know, obviously, right in the decoy is good to go. So. Um, but you know, when you don't scout, all you do is just go out there and throw decoys in random places and don't know where birds like to be. It's going to be hard to kill a bird. So, right. But eventually hunt 11 comes and we have a flock of like 20 mallards come right into the decoys. You by yourself? Almost into the decoys. You by yourself or with someone else? I bring one of my buddies with me. You're like, Hey, I haven't killed anything in 10 straight hunts. You want to go? <laughs> this is a childhood friend. <laughs> And, uh, like we just, we do a lot of random stuff together. He's done, he still does some stuff with me here and there. Um, but he's like moved away, Mm -hmm. um, like an hour and a half away now. So we're not, but we literally grew up across the street. So, um, he's one of those guys. If I say like, Hey, let's go do this. He's, he's just down just to hang out kind of thing. So, um, (laughs) yeah, we went out there. Um, Mallard comes in and he, he literally shot at the same bird, saw feathers go. And then, like, it, but it's still going. And then um, I crumple it, and it literally, like, plinkos through the trees mm-hmm. and, like, lands, like, on the ground, like, in between us. Are any of these hunts on your YouTube channel? This one is, like, roughly, but it's not, like, in full. Like, I have, like, a montage of the first 11. And after uh-huh. that, I start getting, like, a little bit better at filming. I've got to go back together. and watch. I don't think I've ever seen those. I've yeah, got to go back and watch They're on there. They're pretty, right, I gotta it's like you said, them. season one, they're, they're pretty, uh. Yeah, they're pretty rough. Yeah, mine too. Mine too. But I still. But then, like, the crazy thing on this hunt is uh, a flock of geese comes in next, and I triple on them. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, I bet that. That's crazy. You know, I was looking at my stats, and my last 418 logged hunts, I've only tripled six times. So that's crazy. Your first successful hunt, you triple. Yeah. Were you screaming and yelling, hooting, hollering? I was trying to get Chief to get them, and. Yeah, had like at this point, he's probably like seven months because we're like eleven yeah. months in. And, and he thinks hunting um, is just spectating sport. 
Yeah, yeah, he he wouldn't get him. He had yeah, no idea. He's like, "What? We just sit here and don't shoot things. What do you want me to do?" <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And so, in the process, the sad part is, in the process, uh, one of the birds got up and flew away that I knocked down. <laughs> oh my gosh! So my first bird loss, right? Yeah. So, oh, that's crazy. Yep. And then from there, you started having a lot more success, then, huh? Right after that, um, I mean, I wouldn't say a lot. I probably, I probably didn't kill thirty birds my first season. Mm-hmm. So, and that's going like, I went every single weekend that season. What like year was every it you single started Saturday keeping track of your bird numbers? It was, uh, I don't know. I kept track of them um, to like some degree, but like I didn't keep them on the app um, until, I can't remember, like four or five years ago. It would be so interesting. This is why keeping your uh, a hunting log is just such a cool thing because it would be so neat to go back and just see year one, year two, year three, and just compare them and see your success build. Uh, right. As I know, just because of Indiana, there was a couple of years tucked in there where you were not incompetent, but you just weren't doing well. And then you kind of had a breakout year, a couple of two, I don't remember how many years ago it was. Um, might've been three or four years ago. I don't remember, but you had a breakout year where you were still struggling, not really, I mean, probably still some that you were green, but more because you were kind of having some bad luck mixed with hunting in Indiana. And then you had a breakout year that you just crushed them. I can't remember. I'm thinking that was about four years ago, maybe. Yeah. You can, you can have a bad year in just about any state, you know, it's just weather dependent. Like Mm -hmm. if you get Indiana, if we get like a big weather push right at the beginning of season, it'll blow out a lot of our local birds, a lot of our Mm -hmm. local wood ducks. And then if we get no weather after that, it's just nothing new blows in. Right. So, um, it's kind of weird sometimes how fronts can blow birds out, but not new birds in. Mm -hmm. Right. That's one thing where I'm always trying to figure out exactly what's happened or how that's happened. But I've, I've definitely experienced that in the past where it's like, we have like, um, where all the birds push out and maybe it's the pressure just as much as the weather Yeah, and the weather wasn't actually enough to bring new birds in. So, yeah, that's not a science. It's hard to know. Now there are some fronts that you just like, okay, I know this is going to do it, but there's a lot of fronts. It's just like, okay, they're not here. I thought they should be, or are they coming before it? Are they coming after it? There's just so much to it. So from the time that you started becoming a little more successful, like what do you feel like has been your what what have you learned that has improved your waterfowl hunting like in the last four years? So like you're fairly competent, you've been doing it three or four years, you've been hitting it hard. What fine tuning have you have you done to kind of really step it up over the last four? Sure. Sure. I'm trying to think um, what would be kind of the best thing. Um, one thing, I mean, obviously having, having like enough duck spots is huge. Having yeah. good spots. Yeah. Um, so like even like putting in the work, whether it's off season or like during season, like you get done on a Saturday, um, go around and knock on doors, like mark them on, on X. Mm-hmm. Um, you can never have too many spots. As soon as you think you have enough spots, you're going to lose one. Yeah. Um, and then you can like cycle out worse spots, right? Mm-hmm. If you have, you know, 10 or whatever. And it's a little different here than kind of where you're just going to like big reservoirs and there's like half a dozen of them, right? You know, um, and those are just the spots. And then you have, you know, your little hidden gems within those. Um, but for us, it's like, you know, my big thing is um, we got a lot of big lakes um, with private access, right? So 
it's public water and private access in Michigan. So you got to have permission from the landowner um, to hunt. So like you came with me in that little cattail mm-hmm. um, backwater off a of big lake. You know, I had to knock on that landowner's door and, and kind of get the go ahead um, to do it. So really becoming a salesman to um, get access to those spots has been huge um, too, because it's like, you gotta, you gotta put on a good face and you gotta get the yes. Right. Um, so putting a good game plan for that and having, having the birds, um, to actually hunt, you know, it doesn't matter how good you can blow a duck call. It doesn't matter how good your concealment is. Um, if you don't actually have birds to hunt, um, you're not going to get in any better and you're not going to have success. So kind of, um, really getting good spots, um, under my belt and in, in my, uh, my, uh, accesses has helped a lot. Yeah, and from, from an observer, I would say the things I've seen you do to be more successful is you travel farther. So you started the right. chase in the opener shares where you go clear up to upper peninsula of, am I saying it right, Michigan, the UP? Yeah. And you, you've expanded your footprint a lot. Now you're going to the Mississippi River for teal season. So now you've added a teal season to what you're doing. You, you've expanded your footprint greatly. And, and like you said, you are way more aggressive than I am about knocking on doors. I hate knocking on doors. I'm an introvert in it. I absolutely detest it. And, and you, you are really good at that for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I was actually going to mention that as well. Traveling, traveling further. It's nothing for me to be traveling just all over the place. Um, if you don't have birds at home, man, it's like, it's one of those things. Like I have buddies where they're like, Oh, I don't want to go that far. It's like, well, what? So we're going to go to the marsh and sit there and not see anything. And then maybe sit, sit there even longer because we haven't seen anything, or we can get up a little earlier, right. drive a little further, quit a, quit a little sooner, and still be done at the same time, but we actually shot birds. So, like, yeah. which one sounds more fun to you? <laughs> right, exactly. Like we talked about on um, your podcast previously, it's like for the Nebraska Teal Opener the weekend before, we've got people scouting probably, I don't know how many miles it is, a six-hour drive difference. We've got people scouting on the edges of six hours of driving. It's like, yeah, if it's we have to crazy. go six hours, we're going six hours. You know, and right. it's not, and it does, my life doesn't always lend itself to that, but, but the, you know, it's just being willing to go. It, some people aren't willing to even go a couple hours. I mean, in this state, we can hunt. If you, if you hop zones, and the same for you if, you, if we hop zones, you can hunt from September 1st clear till mid-February when, when goose close with almost no right. breaks if you're willing to put in two, three-hour drives on a semi-consistent basis, you know, it's just, it just goes into yeah. how much do you want it? How much, and if you don't want it, it's, you know, it's just no, it's okay not to do that, but how much do you want? <laughs> yeah, it, but you right? can't, you can't complain about it. Right. Exactly. If you're not willing to put in the work, I mean, we can't all live in Nebraska. Some of us have to mm-hmm. work for our birds and, and, right. uh, you know, scout and, and be good hunters. Yeah, that's true. You know, I, I am, I love Nebraska. I'm going to be hunting more and more in Nebraska. I can promise. You. I'm only about 45 minutes away from Nebraska, so I've, I'm developing spots, man. I'm developing spots. I've got four places that are viable places within an hour and a half for me in Nebraska. Now, last year it was I picked up two more after last year. Now I haven't killed a duck in any of them, but it's going. It's going to happen. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. So it, it's that developing. It's that developing places, and sometimes there's places right under your nose. I found a place that was right under my nose this, this off season that I went into. I was like, man, I had checked it one time. It really didn't look anything, any good. And I went into this year and it's like smart weed everywhere. It's like, how have I 
not been hunting this hole. It was just right under my nose. So, so there's something I have not, I don't know, I don't think that I've told you, and I don't think you're going to be very happy about. So, on North American Waterfowler app, I moved wood ducks down to four points. <laughs> I, I figured that that probably <laughs> happened when we took over. Any way to make the Central Flyway win more often, <laughs> and you're going to do it. Jordan and I have had lots of good wood duck debates, and some of our more contentious debates have been about wood ducks, and he convinced me on, on the North American Waterfowl app, used to be freelance hunt stats, there's a point value given for each bird, and then at the end of the hunt you get a scorecard, and that adds in towards the leaderboard, and you keep lifetime scores and lifetime leaderboards. And, and the mallard is five, and Jordan convinced me to put the wood duck drake at five. Um, which I backed it and, up. And most of the reason for that is to like try to balance out the, you know, the, the comparison between Central Flyway and um, the Mississippi Flyway because, you know, we, you get five mallards in the Central Flyway. Yeah. You get four in the Mississippi. We shoot a lot more wood ducks. We get 60 days. You guys mm-hmm. get 75. Yeah. And uh, every year the Central Flyway just floods the top of the leaderboard. Well, but now you can sort by state. You can sort by last 28 days, and sometime probably by next year it'll be regional. It'll be by flyway, which you and I had talked about doing that, and I'm sure that is going to come, and I imagine it'll be probably not this year but the next year. So then you can compete, you know, state level, last month level. So what you're saying is that the the main leaderboard doesn't mean anything anymore. What I'm saying is that there is no (laughs) way in hell that shooting a wood duck drake should be as much as shooting a green-headed mallard. But the, the thing about it is on a single hunt, you can't actually get the same amount of points. Well, then move. <laughs> Quit hunting wood ducks and go chase mallards. <laughs> did you know? Did you know that I had changed that? Oh, I mean, from our conversations, I figured that was probably probably going to be not long long lived. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So did you, you probably didn't see it because it just came out today. Did you happen to see the video I put out of um, Bobby Hayes trying to help me become a competent duck caller? Um, I have not watched it, no. I saw it, but I haven't watched yeah. it. It took me two years of building up the courage to go and do that, sitting there in front of a professional duck caller and be like, okay. But it was a really fun event. We went went to his shop, spent about four or five hours just hanging out, talking. Um, we made a whole video where he listened to my calling and, and helped me improve it. And I I really, really gained a lot from this experience. And if you guys listen to the podcast, Bobby's been on here about four times. And I'm going to release – so the video is about, nine, I think, 17, 18 minutes. But I've got a whole – the whole session was an hour. But you can't – it just doesn't work to put out an hour YouTube video. So I'm going to drop that entire session with Bobby here on the podcast really, really soon. Um, he's just a remarkable, remarkable guy, and he puts out some crazy good duck calls. So I've been talking to Bobby, and if you guys want to pick up a Ducklander call, duck call, go to ducklandercalls.com and use the code NAW23 for 10% off, and you can pick up one of his calls. His calls are awesome. I've been wanting to get one for a long, long time, and this will be the second or third 
year now that I'm using it. But you guys have heard Bobby on here. He's just a straight killer as a duck hunter and a caller. So go pick up one of those calls, and we got you guys a 10% off discount. So did he, uh, did he help you kick the crow sound? You know, honest to God, I got a, I got a crow call comment within the last week. So season two, <laughs> season two, um, I was I had used picked up a new duck call, and I mean I have refined my calling to where even <laughs> when Bobby listened to it, he's like, "It's not bad, it's not bad." You're almost there. And so over the last couple of years, I've really moved it forward and refined it a lot. But season two, it was awful, and I was doing something with the call that act, it really did sound like a crow. It call. did, yeah. It did, and it, I remember uh, pressing on it a little bit, but I could tell it actually bothered oh, me. Oh yeah, so, yes. So I didn't, I didn't press it. There, oh that that was made a couple jokes. Either you, if you talk trash on my dogs, or but the crow call comment for a while that would get an instant delete on a video like that. Like was hitting a <laughs> soft spot because I knew my call was sounding terrible, and that was just like people will judge you as a waterfowler by your calling, and yeah, that was a real sensitive spot <laughs> for a long time. Right. And and someone that I there was one video that um got the most crow call comments from season two, and that was the video that I just got a crow call comment just recently. But it didn't bother me now. I'm past it. It didn't bother me. It didn't. <laughs> well, because you fixed it. I fixed it's like, it. Like uh, it's when they say something about you and it's not true, right? It yes. doesn't it doesn't affect you when it is true. You're like, shut <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. It sounds terrible, but. So, and Bobby was really, really um, able to help me. So, um, I had gotten to the point where I was using pressure in my lungs properly, but I was releasing the pressure too quickly. There's, I won't go through all the detail, but I'm, I'm going to release the full hour on here. So, it's a pretty, pretty cool podcast. And the video is on the YouTube channel. Um, let's switch gears, unless there's anything else on. Yeah, I think you hit that pretty good. Let's switch gears to um, your puppy. And I know that you, by the time this is out, that video is going to be out. So talk to us about, it should be, this thing's not coming out until, (laughs) maybe it is next week. Maybe it does come out next week. All right. Well, just, I know that you've got some things you want to reveal in your video. So don't reveal anything you don't want to. And I'm... How's it going with the puppy? Man, it's uh it's always fun having a pup. Um yeah, it was it was pretty tough losing Chief first uh first duck dog mm-hmm. that I've lost. So it, you know, uh, but I knew as a duck hunter that like uh I, I just really don't have desire to hunt without a dog. Yeah. So um it's for me it's so much a part of it that uh it's not duck hunting without a dog. Um <clears throat> so yeah, I definitely, definitely knew that I, that I needed to get a pup. So I, I picked up, um, picked up a new pup from uh, Southern Oak Kennels North mm-hmm. in Michigan. They're not too far from me. And, so it's a British. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a British lab. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and uh, just just loving every minute of having a little pup. I shouldn't say every minute. There's been a couple. <laughs> yeah, like the crate training is like trying to be off work as quick as I can, like going as late as I can come, you know, come back and forth as much as I can to let them out to like do that initial training. Yeah. You know, I, people, I was on the retriever trainer and I was like, Hey, like, how do I keep my pup from like peeing? They're like, 
And some people on there are almost insane. They're like, if you can't be there every hour and a half, you need to hire someone else to let your dog out. Like, <laughs> like, what? Like, what do you need? Like, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I can't afford right. to hire someone to let my dog out to pee. Right. And um, I also have a job. And, you know, my wife works um, certain days of the week, too, mm-hmm. or she's doing whatever she's doing. You know, it's, it's my dog and yeah. my hunting dog. And so it's, you know, it's my responsibility to to do it and but it was it was a lot of work firsthand i forgot about i forgot about all that but he's past that um he's pretty well crate trained um he is four months old going on five is now. he still sleeping in the crate or is he sleeping out of the crate now um he's still in the crate yeah good good deal so yeah, georgie yeah, slept I'm, in her crate until she was like almost one yeah i'm yeah i'm 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 a fan of that too so uh he but he can be out with like, I still try to keep a good eye on him, but he's he's getting pretty well behaved. Yeah. So, how many bathroom know, accidents guess, out of the crate have you had? Uh, I haven't had one in like a month. Oh, plus, fantastic! So. Yeah, yeah. Man, he's doing great on that. I, now that I've actually used the crate training process, and I don't know if crate training processes differ because I use the same one you use. I'm sure we watched the exact same videos from Life of Teat on the RetrieverTrainer.com. It is right. a different ball game with potty training and with behavior in a dog when you follow a crate system. Every person that I know has a puppy, whether they're a hunting dog or not, I say, hey, if you've never crate trained a dog, I'm telling you, it is an absolute game changer with a dog's behavior. Right. Right. Not just not just yeah, potty training, their, their behavior in general. It's just, it's a game changer. Yeah, definitely. It's been, it's been great. At first I was like, oh man, I, I kept having like a, a couple um, setbacks, but it just takes time, especially if you don't have, like, I think if you actually do have the time to be on it every single hour and a half to mm-hmm. two hours mm-hmm. and like you don't have a job, then I bet you can get it done quicker than what I did. But I still got to the end, you know, the same end result. Uh, eventually. And for those of you who don't know, it's an hour and a half to two hours in the crate. You get the dog out. You may have them go to the bathroom. If they don't go to the bathroom, they go back in the crate. Um, Then if they do go to the bathroom, they're out for like 15 to 30 minutes and you watch them every single second during that time. If they fall asleep at that time, they're okay to sleep. If not, they go right back in the kennel and you just clock it. You time it to a clock and just repeat, 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 repeat. Right. So yep. so, where's Chief at now? Uh, Would you say how, how many? He's, oops, I think he's fifteen weeks. <laughs> fifteen weeks. Okay. Yeah. So he's fifteen or sixteen. I'm trying to remember. I think he might be sixteen at the end. It's it's crazy how fast the time goes. But um, this is this is like the busiest time of the year mm-hmm. as a content creator. Yeah. So I think I've fallen like a couple weeks behind on his stuff. Um, he's retrieving to hand. Um, he's got like some general obedience, like sit mm-hmm. and like place, and right. you know some important stuff like that. But uh, he absolutely loves retrieving in bumpers. Great. So that's great. That's gonna be great. Yeah, that's something that um, Chief never had. He was like, I had to really, really work at getting him to that. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved he loved ducks and geese way more than he loved bumpers. Yeah. So you know, if you you don't have a dog that loves bumpers, it's kind of hard to do the the training. But he's like as excited when I grab a bumper as like when I grab uh, his food scoop full of, full of food. So he's like yeah. running, jumping circles. And I bet if you pulled out and, both of them, he might go for the bumper. Maybe, maybe. And that's and, the uh, difference between getting like now chief ended up being a great hunting dog. No doubt about it. But the difference, these little nuances of like, well, chief didn't really love the bumpers. You had some motivation issues. It's like getting a dog out of like Southern Oaks or high bloodlines. 
You're just going to have normally the dogs are going to love everything you're doing, right? Right, yeah. Because it's just more fine-tunedly, selectively bred. Right, yeah. So he retrieves, I mean, he retrieves the hand every single time. I have no issue with him coming back. Mm -hmm. I just call him. I throw it. I can throw it as far as I can. He runs out, gets it, and comes back. That's great. And I haven't, I don't think I've done like more than 10 retrieves because you know you're not supposed to do a ton right now. Yeah. Um, but like he's never not gone after, he's never not come back. So we're just going to keep that, <laughs> that, that, uh, gravy train rolling, I guess. Yeah. I hope it keeps up for you. Cause Georgie became an insane monster about not bringing things back before I eat collar conditioner. Cause I made the mistake after a duck hunt of pitching her a duck, thinking it'd be funny, see what she'd do with it. And she grabbed that thing and took off running. I didn't want her to eat it. So there was four of us, four or five of us in the family actively chasing her around the yard. Several people dove and fell down trying to catch her. And she thought that was so much fun from that moment on. <laughs> I could never let her off a leash until I call her conditioner. It was, oh, wow. I created a monster with that dog. Um, I cannot wait to see your progression um, with this new pup. It's going to be so fun. To watch you, I really do hope that you decide to get into the hunt test stuff because it's so enjoyable. I I, I did it just to prove myself, and I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. And it just makes the, the off season. It adds something to the off season that is just at this point. I feel like irreplaceable for me. I can't imagine not doing some hunt testing during the season because the hunt test stuff. When you run your dog in front of everyone, there's adrenaline going. You're excited. You find this little group of buddies to to train with. It gives you like real strong purpose and and motivation. And I know Thomas is going to go down that road with his little dog. I I hope that you do. I'm hoping. Nice. As of now, I plan not to. Yeah. And may, in future dogs, it could be. Uh, my my issue is like not like I don't disagree with anything you said. It probably is really good. Um, but with how busy I am. Yeah. And I got I get kids two and five, yeah. so I'm like I I don't want to add any another hobby because I'm super addictive personality. Obviously, when it comes to duck hunting, and I'm like you know going going crazy with that. So That's smart, um, yeah. Because I love fishing with my kid yeah. in the summer. That's what I'm going to keep doing. <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. I retract that. I don't hope that you do because I've got my kids are now leaving the house. I've got two perfect of my four. time for you, right? Yeah, two out of four, and if. But the thing is, like, when your kids start, kids start leaving the house, and those of you that have had this happen, you'll know what I mean. It's like the loss of a two- to seven-year-old child, like that little essence of being being gone forever is more painful than I ever understood. You go back and watch old videos of them as a toddler. You can't – I, my wife and I, we can't hardly even watch those videos. It is so painful to right. have that thing, that adorable – little innocent sweet two to seven year old i mean they're great at other ages too but right around the end of third grade they kind of lose the baby in them where that whole time where you can still see the baby but they're older it is the most innocence yes it's the most precious times and when it's gone it is like something has died i mean it's literally you grieve over not having that i will talk to my son and sometimes i won't hear what he's saying because i'm looking at his face and just daydreaming about him being a little toddler so yes absolutely use that time for that because you you're only going to get it once and you want every second of it right oh yeah and i already see it coming and like with what with what we do too, content creation just adds one more layer of 
time that it takes away from us. So I'm like, yeah, I'd love to do the training. I see the perspective mm-hmm. of it being great, but I think when I'm in, in your shoes and, and uh, at that time of life, I think that's probably when I'll take it up because I, I do love the idea of it. Yeah. So what is your goals for this dog exactly as far as training goes? Um, Not to break. Chief broke, mm-hmm. and um, I, had, I had a time up or he broke. Yeah. And you know how that gets on, on hot and heavy hunts yep. um, where they're just coming in crazy. Uh, you're messing with them. You're trying to get them, like, right back tied up into the blind or whatever, you know. Um, and uh, it, can, it can mess you up. And and also that, but, like, if you're layout hunting, especially it's super um, not safe for the dog. Um, Chief did have hearing loss, too, and I think that was because he was breaking in front of all our sure, barrels. Sure, Right? He was getting muzzle blasted all the time. So he was uh, – he was his hearing was greatly diminished at the age of six, mm-hmm. so it was only going to get worse. Um, so I really want to have um, this dog be steady um, and be a, a solid meat dog. Now, if I get to the hand signals, that'll be great. So right. that, that's about as far as I want to take it. Yeah, it really parallels my dogs because my first dog was a litter out of the paper. She had she was a great little retriever, but not steady. Um, and so my second dog, Izzy, was just, hey, be steady, bring the birds back. That's all I want. All I'm asking you to do. Be, and she took a few hand signals, but really it was just like, be steady, bring the dog back. That's what she did. And then now with Georgie, it was like the right time in my life to be like, I am going to throw everything I have into this. And, and, see, and I really, at this point, Jordan, if Georgie doesn't run in the grand, I will be shocked if she doesn't at least. She's qualified for it. She could run in it whenever she wants. But I really believe with the resources I have around me that I can put her in a position to have a real chance at passing at the Grand. I don't, she's not there now. Nice. She's not there now. But I, I think I'm viewing it just like a career for her. And she's four. And maybe it's, maybe it's when she's seven. Maybe it's when she's eight. I, I don't know. But I, I've got her whole life, hopefully. And I, I'll be surprised if she doesn't have a, a serious chance of, of, getting it done which the thought of her being a grand retriever champion it it is so difficult to get dogs to that level that oh my gosh i just can't even imagine um if super impressive if if we were able to get that done what that would be but well anything else you want to say about the dog um no yeah I'm, i'm right there with you i'm looking forward to um seeing how he progresses and it's it's actually gonna be fun i think i'm gonna take him on you know, I got a lot of trips planned coming up. I, I keep it pretty front heavy, so they still be young. Um, but I plan to take him on those trips, mm-hmm. but not hunt. Yeah. Right. So yeah. he's gonna he'll be back in the the crate and get him out and and just I, I don't know. It's just gonna be fun to have him along for the ride. Yeah, for sure. So it's little puppies are just so cute. Oh my and, gosh, <laughs> they are. I'm I'm struggling not to get another one right now. Uh, Jobman's got a couple dogs from Georgie's sister. Linda oh and Linda's already a grand retriever champion. And I am so mad at myself for having Georgie spayed because right <laughs> now I could probably sell Georgie's puppies with a really, if I bred her with a high power dog, like at um, Flatlander kennels, I bet you I could sell her puppies between somewhere between two and 3000 per dog. And I, and, and why would I not want to have my next hunting dog be Georgie's Georgie's baby? Yeah. So here's here's the plan. All right. Her dad. Can go ahead. 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Her dad is one of the baddest dogs in North, literally one of the best dogs in the hunt, hunt retriever game. Um, HRC, AKC, literally one of the best in North America. And uh, I will either get a half sister of Georgie in probably two or three years, probably more like three years when Georgie's like seven. I will get, because Flash will probably still be putting out litters at that time. So I'll either get a puppy that's a half sister to Georgie, or I will get um, a puppy of Linda, which is Georgie's full sister. And so that dog I will not spade. And all the dogs for the rest of my life will come out of that litter. You know, so it'll always be connected to that, yeah, yeah. that line. So it'll always be connected to Flash and to Georgie. So it won't be directly out of Georgie, but it'll be all the same family line. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna do some breedings. I'm I, my plan is to do some breedings um at some point too and just see where see where that takes off. Um I just, awesome. I was just mad that I got Georgie Spade. That was one of the stupidest. <laughs> she would be worth right now if she wasn't Spade. She'd be worth like fifteen to twenty five thousand. Um, that's crazy, right? I wouldn't sell her for that, but you get a dog that's got their. What, what's your price? Oh, literally, I've thought about like what my price would actually be for that dog for her. Like if someone put it in front of me, it would be in the hundred thousands. Hundred thousand. Yeah. I wouldn't sell her for a hundred thousand. If you gave me two now, quarter if million, really, if that if that was sitting on the kitchen table though, all that cash and like, hey, I don't think I could do. If it. you take this, I know, I would have It'd to. It would it would depend too. It's like, how much money would it take for you to send her to a family that really just table scrap feeds her, makes her fat, never hunts her? You're gonna have to give me millions for that. Yeah, you know, I'm there. There's no way I I'm going to sell her even for a couple hundred thousand right, to people right. that are gonna. I, I love that dog almost like a child. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just there, <laughs> no way. But actually, if someone I knew is a great home, and gosh, it, it, I'm serious. It might have to be close to a quarter million. I mean, but dog trainers do it all the time. I know. You know what I mean? I guess they're just callous to it. Well, dog trainers, they don't um there's no way that they can develop the same relationship as an amateur with their one dog. Right. right. I mean, like Jobman's That's got true. 80 dogs out there and he loves them and he treats them well and Flash is actually his dog that is like truck dog. And uh I'm sure he feels that way about Flash, but when you're running through like they train like 30, 40 different dogs a day, there's just no way you could develop this Sure. Of course, that jet dog. They all got. They all got to start somewhere. They got to sell their first dog, right? right, That they trained. Sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So this, they could be just the first step in Elliot becoming a dog trainer. Never selling Georgie. (laughs) I can, and and she's not spayed, so or she is spayed, so it's off the table. But yeah, I I just uh, I I know I loved Izzy, but ah man, the oh yeah, I would. I don't think I ever would either. The kind of love I have for this little Georgie is probably over the top. It does probably help that she's like a stud, you know, stud retriever and all yes, that too, right? It absolutely does because I remember um, my chest puffs out a little bit. I remember when I used to to socialize her and take her into like Home Depot and the cart and everything, and people would see her, and I was like, they've got no idea what I've got here. They've right. got no idea the kind of caliber of animal that I have in my. You just possession. want to like stop like random but you know this dog all right yeah oh man so the other day at my school they've got therapy dogs right and therapy dogs you can sign up for them to come in and the kids get to pet them and whatever and they're like well therapy dogs are kind of come around so they may come into your room this is but when we're just having work days 
So they may just come in and say hello to you. I'm like, yeah, all right, that, that's fine. Therapy dog can come in and say hello to me. So these two ladies walk in with two dogs. One is a golden retriever and one is like an Australian shepherd, both great breeds. These are the biggest trash dogs I've ever seen. They're like fat as could possibly be. <laughs> they're not even attractive looking dogs, probably just because they're so fat. And I'm just right, biting right. my tongue. And, and they walk in like they think they've got something <laughs> special with them. Like I'm supposed to be impressed by these dogs is how, is how, they're, yeah. is how they're acting. Well, all the third graders always are. Right. And I'm just thinking <laughs> I, oh, my, my mental thoughts were really not uh, not on point not not christian <laughs> it's like berating <laughs> them like i wanted to just say something like so uh, just out of curiosity how much you feed that dog you know just like <laughs> what are you doing you've got some good breeds here but these are the trash dogs and i'm thinking you have no idea the kind of dog that i have compared to you <laughs> and i know it's, I'm, I'm i'm telling you i didn't like my mental health. so then the the next two two more people come in the two next two therapy dogs come in and uh, no lie this little australian shepherd jordan was the fattest little <laughs> thing i've ever seen in my life it was like literally like a pumpkin slash football i ca- I've, i can't <laughs> even believe its skin was not just bursting and the, this was a man <laughs> owning this dog and he was totally chest puffing about this dog He's like, yeah, the last people didn't want him. How could anyone not want this dog? He's saying stuff like that. And I'm thinking, man, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take that dog off your hands and I'll put it out of its misery right now in my backyard. (laughs) (laughs) So much for keeping this podcast (laughs) non-elitist. Well, okay. I wouldn't euthanize the dog. I don't. But there was some, and I prefaced it with saying I'm not proud of my mental game during this time. Right, right. right, right. (laughs) But it's just like, you know, you've got good breeds. Why do do people let their dogs get so fat? They just don't do anything with them. So it's there's no training. There's no, like, uh, getting bumpers. There's no, you know, it's just these dogs aren't doing what they're bred for. That dog was bred to, to run around and, and get cattle, right? right? So it probably has it probably has high drive, yeah. whether it's even – it might be high food drive too, right? So they keep feeding the dog because he's just hungry, right? Yeah. Or he reacts hungry, but he's not doing any of the – physical activity that he was bred for yeah it's actually really sad because you're right like australian shepherds are really cool dogs and to take an australian shepherd like that and make him fat and then his work is just visiting kids and not actually running it's 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 a travesty it should almost be illegal he's probably been trained not to run yeah it's like everything in that dog's essence wants to run it's just it's it may really makes me mad I went off the sidetrack on that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, that guy's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? They probably figured it out before now, right? I mean, episode, what, 53? <laughs> yeah, they probably knew by now. <laughs> Although there's something about talking to you that seems to make me act more like a jerk than when I'm by myself. I don't know what I, it is. I egg you on a little bit. I egg you <laughs> I on know a little you bit. Do. So. <laughs> So I don't know how long we've been going. I did have a couple of things to talk about. I've kind of lost track of time. How long we've been rolling? Um, I think we're right about in an hour. Right about an hour. All right, let me look over. All right, I want to end with this one. So I know you. I know you haven't listened to a bunch of the episodes, but early on in the in the episodes of my podcast, I really went deep into, and we had talked about this before. It's like the value of the individual life of a duck, and. It's something I've asked multiple people on here just to give their thoughts on it. Um, 
And so I want to turn it to you, and I and you can take it wherever you want. Well, well, this will be the last thing that we talk about is when it comes to the value of the individual life of each duck. How much value would do you assign to like that one mallard duck, that one wood duck? Um, anything rolling around in your mind about that? Just open ended. Sure. Sure. I mean, that's a tough one. We've definitely talked about it in the past and they definitely do have, you know, value, um, you know, especially as waterfowlers, we do everything we can, uh, for conservation, um, to, to, uh, you know, produce more ducks and, and to give them habitat to live in. Um, and then when it comes to hunting, it's like, um, I, I think we should do our best to, to, uh, you know, take care of that resource as well, you know, to get away from um, the sky busting and, and stuff like that. And I think that's a lot about about what it comes down to. Or, like, you know, if you have your set limit, you're kind of um, counting those lost birds if you, if you know you <clears throat> wounded one towards your limit and all that. So as far as, like, assigning it an actual value, um, do I think a duck has, like, um, the same value as, like, maybe uh, um, my, my lab chief that, that passed away? Um, I know that if I crippled a duck, I don't feel great about it, but I didn't mourn it the same way I mourned, um, you know, losing my hunting buddy. So, um, just to kind of like give an actual, um, perspective on that value, because it's like, I can't say like a value like 10 or like 12 or like whatever, you know what Mm -hmm, I mean? mm -hmm. Uh, the only thing I can compare it to is, um, actual things that, that have, uh, transpired in my life. So, um, it is tough to put a finger on an actual value, but um, I know that that as a duck hunter, you know, I, I love the existence of uh, of ducks um, uh, as a you know as a, a follower of, of of Christ. You know, it's uh, something where we've been tasked with being stewards of the animals that and and that He's created. So I do think that even He's placed. God's placed value on, on birds as well. So, um, but to, to put an exact number, it's, it's, it's pretty hard. So you're going to, you're going to give me what, what your thoughts are. Well, on let me, too. let me try to <clears throat> restate what I hear you saying. And then you tell me if I'm right or not, <clears throat> is that the individual value, uh, life of a duck does have a certain level of value, but you, and that would play out in your hunting as though it controls your shot selection. So you're unwilling. A, a duck has enough value to really try not to wound it, but some wounding loss is acceptable. It has to be for us to do what we do. But if there's right. enough value that you're going to say, hey, I'm not going to shoot certain shots because I need. I want to limit wounded loss. Sure. Yeah, I, I would agree to that. For sure. And it is like you said, we, we do have to accept some amount because even if you're taking good shots and you miss and part of your pattern hits the bird and we're just going to miss because human error, right? Um, you could shoot at a bird at 25 yards, which is a perfectly reasonable shot and just be a bad shot or be in a shooting slump. You know, we hunt 60 days a year or so, Elliot, and uh, we get pretty fine-tuned by the end of the season. Right, <laughs> but. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely been times where I've been in shooting slumps and um, you can think you're right on a bird. You can see feathers go and that, and that bird's gone. So 
Um, you probably peppered it with a few BBs. Um, and it is, it is part of hunting to have a certain amount of loss. And I think that's probably been the way it has been um, forever. Obviously, there's more humans than there's ever been. I would I would think anyway as far as the population um of the you know of, of active waterfowlers and all that. Actually that's probably not true. We've we've been a little bit higher. But um yeah. So there is there is some amount of accepted loss. Now, I mean I think we all take parts in it in, in small percentages, whether you choose to hunt like a, a really small sub gauge, um you're definitely going to be less lethal than you are with a 12 gauge. So there's just no way around the science that like a single shot, the first shot from a 12 gauge has more BBs in it and has less room for air than a 410. I really want to say another number, but um, I'll say 410. <laughs> more room, so, for, um, more room for air. You mean? Right, right. There's more room for air in the, in the, in, in the 12 mm-hmm. gauge than there is the, the tiniest gauge. Right. Um, and the same thing, whether you're shooting a duck at what, whatever, choke you have in at the exact you know the exact um ideal range whether it's 20 yards with a a modified choke is your ideal range or or you're uh poking out at one at 45 you know um you're gonna have more success shooting that bird at 25 than 45 so you know and then you can go as crazy as like hey should we all buy tungsten Mm -hmm. should we all buy and pay six dollars a shot because that's the most lethal ammo and and, you know we all because we could do that right we could say hey you you know this is the most lethal way the 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 best way for the birds to be harvested without crippling them but you know at some point we have to say well um the value of the money we're spending you know where does that fall to so yeah it's a a tough one it's definitely a tough one yeah, I, I I agree with it, everything that that you said, and I just want to reiterate things that I've said from the past that the individual life of a duck holds enough value that we need to be thoughtful about our shot selection, and and actually be be careful with what types of shots we're taking and and how we're going about it. And I think I think it really really we owe the ducks of that respect to to be thoughtful about it. So. That's all I've got to say. But yeah, I thought that was a, oh, that was a great response. Um, <clears throat> guys, this is Jordan Fromer. Make sure you're checking out all the episodes of the Duck Gun Podcast. You can go back and hear he and I on there for hundreds of episodes. So go get caught up on those if you haven't listened to him. Check out his YouTube channel, Duck Gun Chronicles, and you can see as he progresses through his waterfowling life and, and everything that he's doing. And what's your Instagram? That's uh, Duck and Chronicles, yeah. Right. And Jordan is also doing a giveaway as well. So um, you can, what's the name of your Patreon? Uh, Duck and Chronicles. Patreon.com slash Duck and Chronicles. Right. So if you want to double up and, and try to win a giveaway with me and and with him, go for both of them and see if you can get double your chances at winning that. It's going to be a great time. So I really appreciate you coming on here, Jordan. It's been too long. Should have happened earlier and love everything that you're doing and i'm sure that we will have you back again um sooner rather than later yep uh, appreciate you having me on elliot it's always uh fun catching up and talking duck hunting with you and uh, we've done it for years so it's kind of fun just to pick up where we left off like you know nothing, nothing's changed yeah. but yeah i really i really enjoyed this 
So thanks a lot, guys. Until next time, you've listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast.